Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with Chris Sparks. He is currently Senior Books Editor at the Association of Marian Helpers, the printing arm of the Congregation of the Marian Fathers. He has written a book, How Can You Still Be Catholic? 50 Answers to a Good Question. We're going to get into questions like, how can you still be a Catholic with all the church scandals? How can you still be Catholic when the church doesn't let non-Catholics go to communion? How can you still be a Catholic when the church has closed the doors on birth control and abortion? I hope you enjoy this show. He's got a lot of fascinating questions and great answers in his book. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe and share this show with others. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a show that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have someone who works at the Marian Helpers Center. And you might say, what's that? Well, that's really the publishing arm. Uh, they distribute all the divine mercy and literature on Mary. Uh, the Catholic Faith at the Marians Print, and uh, Chris Sparks is currently the Senior Books Editor at the Association of Marian Helpers. Uh, he's not only an editor, but he's written books, and one of them we're going to talk about today is, it's a great book, How Can You Still Be Catholic? It's something we don't like to talk about sometimes because there's been so many problems, and uh, people are leaving the church. People are leaving all churches. People are leaving the concept of God. And uh, Chris has take, put 50 questions together, and they're all great questions that most of us will say, oh, I think about that too. What, what does he say about it? So we're going to talk about the book. It's available at shopmercy.org. And uh, again, you just type in, how can you still be Catholic? And uh, it'll pop up. Christopher Sparks, how can you still be Catholic? 50 answers to good question. So Chris, before we get into the book, just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, and um, were you always Catholic? If, if not, what led you to join the church? Thanks, Brian. Um, I was raised Catholic. My mom's side of the family is Catholic. Dad's side is Protestant. Uh, mom, mom's mother, my grandmother, was little old Irish saint. And everyone who knew her in that small town in Washington State all agreed that Pat Domit was probably a saint. Um, and so that that was a huge part of my growing up and just being convinced of the truth of it was seeing grandma and watching her pray and seeing how she always had a rosary and she always had her little bag of prayer books and all the rest of that. And when we when we were going through her things after she passed away, we were finding copies of Divine Mercy material that I don't know if the center still has. <laughs> but things that had been put out in the early days of promoting everything and Dr. Stackpole's books over the years. And it just, it, she, she has had been very faithful for a very long time. And so that witness of faith and prayer and, you know, really true Christian love and virtue played a huge role in cementing what I was learning at mass and CCD and all that over the years, especially since again, dad's side is Protestant. So I felt like I had a real choice growing up. Everybody agreed on Christianity, and over time, I 
came to think, yeah, I, I think that's that's right. But why why Catholicism? And so I I did my reading. I did my research. I went online. I found some of the message boards where people were attacking the church because I, I was lazy. And that was the easiest way to find out if there was any kind of hole in Catholicism's teaching or arguments or history. You know, find out where people are trying to attack her. You think you find the weak points. But, you know, I did my reading research and man, the church had good answers for everything and good reasons for a lot of things. And, you know, you study long enough, you discover that a lot of what we take for granted as history in the West is, in the English speaking West, is the fruit of kind of royal propaganda from the time of Henry VIII. He had to have reasons for him to be right and Rome to be wrong. And that still affects the history that we're taught and that we take for granted. So it, the church kept on turning up trump cards and I found that very, very powerful and moving and convincing. Um, so, so it was a, a, the gift of my family and the gift of reading and research. So what led you to write this book? Well, I knew that a lot of people had never heard a lot of these answers that I had in the course of reading of a master's program at Franciscan University of Steubenville, of, um, again, witnessing the, the faith of my grandmother. I had had gifts that a lot of other people haven't had. And I knew that this sort of thing was needed. So I went on Facebook one day and said, finish the sentence. How can you still be Catholic when? And I collected very quickly a lot of questions from friends and family and everyone on Facebook. And I took them and I started to answer them with the answers that I had turned up over the years of online apologetics, of my studies and that sort of thing, and eventually had, had the book manuscript and thought it worth, <laughs> people liked it, family and friends liked it. So I thought, all right, this might be worth sharing. That's awesome. You know, Chris, is <clears throat> the church has Christ as its head, and yet it's guided by men on earth. Uh, throughout the 2,000 years of the Catholic Church, there have been serious grave mistakes. And, and the latest, of course, is the sex scandals that have been going on. And, and I don't think it's going to take a, many years to, to recover from that because people have left the church or are angry at it. And they look at us and go, what are you guys still doing in that Catholic Church? What, what would your answer be to that? I would say that especially with something as serious as the abuse scandals, the simplest and most direct answer is it reads just like the Old Testament. You know, the stories of these sort of awful scandals, it's the same sort of thing that you see throughout the history of Israel, of the chosen people, of every sort of, you get some great heroes and you get some great saints, but you also get the worst sort of sin. And sometimes from the people with whom God had covenanted, Saul betrays God. Um, you get David, who should have known better. King David is one of the greatest of all of the saints of the Old Testament. He also ends up sending a man to his death because he slept with his wife. There's a sex scandal, if I ever heard of it, and an abuse of power. And, you know, you could work your way through all of the ways in which this is, this is amazingly awful. This, these sorts of falls have been there throughout, I think, the salvation history, because we are fallen. We're sinners. It's not as though Christianity, I think a lot of people think of Christianity as kind of a precious moments thing, or, you know, it's only veggie tales. 
and they're not paying attention to they don't hold two things in their head at the same time either people are really focused on gentle jesus meek and mild or they're focused on the bible is full of scandalous things they don't pay attention to the fact that both are true that that we are called to this incredible sort of strength that allows us to be gentle like jesus in the midst of war on earth in the midst of um sometimes things look pretty apocalyptic and by the grace of God, we are supposed to still live the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, it's not as though Christianity is possible because it's easy. It's that even as we carry the cross with Christ, we are also to be meek like Christ. We are to be peacemakers like Christ. So the, the sins of the church are like the sins of clergy throughout history not necessarily the same thing it's not been one long uninterrupted abuse scandal of children that is it seems if you look at the data something that really arose in 50s 60s 70s peaked in the 80s and then was on a downward slope after that thank god awful not justifiable condemned by the faith itself con condemned by our canon law not in any way approved by the church even as so many bishops failed to actually apply the law even as so many priests betrayed their vows still not approved by the church still not not in accord with our catholicism and not caused by our catholicism either you see the scandals that have erupted at universities you see the scandals that have erupted in public schools in the boy scouts similar organizations um had nothing to do with catholicism had to do with culture and a time where society was not handling this sort of abuse well you know, it's the Marion Helper Center. I know they get a lot of calls, people calling one thing or another. Over your years there, uh, you've been there, what, since 2012, 2013? 2013, oh, yep. 2013. Uh, what would you say is the toughest question or challenge that you've found as to why am I still Catholic? I think the, well, the, the, the hardest thing simply is when someone has been hurt by the church, by Christians, uh, by someone trying to live the gospel, um, there are there are people before whom I won't even try to make an argument. There are, you know, if you look at the book of Job, um, Job is a faithful man. Job is a devoted man, and then God sends plagues. God sends catastrophes upon him, and Job cries out, "Why is this happening to me?" Justifiably. And his friends come and try to give him all sorts of answers and explanations, and you must have sinned, and it must be this, and it must be that. By the end of the book, God has come to Job. Job is no longer complaining because God is God's presence is the answer. God himself is the answer to all of Job's complaints, all of Job's questions. But the friends are cursed by God because they did not speak well of God. There is in their answers no trust in God's mercy. No trust in God's justice, no trust in God's strength, no trust in God's forbearance. There is, there is in, in all of their defenses of God, a failure to actually have a relationship with God. Whereas Job crying out is justified. I am so badly hurt. How could you, a good and loving God, have permitted this? Again, God himself is the answer. The ultimate answer is going to come on the other side of the grave. It's going to come into heaven, going to come at the last judgment. But 
but I think there's something so important there about, you know, there's there's lots of times where we have to be, we, we are told in, in the New Testament to be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is in us, of the faith that is in us, of Jesus, of the church. But there's also a humility that we have to have where sometimes you have to just be present to the person who's suffering. There is no answer. I would, I would be really hesitant about trying to give any answer to a sex abuse victim. Why don't they believe in the church? I wonder. <laughs> Why don't they believe in a gentle, merciful Jesus? Hmm. You know, try to explain to a Holocaust, a Holocaust victim their suffering. No. Mm -mm. Times where you just, you love the person, you, you love your neighbor, but you may, that there are times where you just are silent before the mystery of evil, silent before the mystery of someone else's suffering. Those are the, those are the impossible ones. Um, someone asks, how can you still be Catholic and in light of something, you know, where is that in scripture? Those are easy. You know, the answers have been offered by saints and popes and all of that exists. Catholic Answers is a wonderful resource. Um, historical questions, it's cases where we just have to confess our sin. You know, something was done and it was done wrong. Don't try to, don't try to minimize a sin. Don't try to obscure a sin. Just, yeah, confession is part of our faith. Acknowledging that we have sinned is part of our faith. You'll get a lot further with people being blunt and honest about real sins that Catholics have committed than you will trying to just cover it up. That's not what's needed. St. Augustine had a great line about God does not need our lie. He doesn't need our propaganda. He doesn't need our spin. God is God. The faith is true. Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. Mary is the queen of heaven and earth. Like these, we, are, we are sharing true things with people. Um, that doesn't need spin. But there are there are times and places where you simply you have to be silent in the face of someone's suffering. And that suffering is so uh, seems to be pronounced today with uh, the world's just in a state of flux. Uh, the COVID, mm -hmm. so many deaths, so much suffering. I hear it all the time. And like yeah. you said, you really you can't really explain it. Uh, yeah. No. And there there is when the works of mercy are so important. You know, someone who is starving comes to you and how can your church be doing so little they're not looking for an explanation or an answer to that they're asking for food yeah <laughs> someone is is dying of thirst give them water you know you don't need to explain anything to them give them water um and and this is one of the reasons why you know family meals or or you know the 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 barbecue for the community brings people together and are they're so powerful even if there's been hate and discontent, even if people have been hurt or hurting each other, one of the things I really would love to see Christians do today is have dinner with people you profoundly disagree with. Have, have a meal. You know, it, it, there can be questions about, well, exposing my children, this is fine. We adult Christians can be spending time with the people that we don't agree with on everything, on really fundamental things. And the more time that we spend together, the better... First of all, just, just by the logic of the interior life, hopefully they're being exposed to Jesus. Even if you say nothing by the fact that you are practicing your Catholicism, you are receiving the Eucharist, you are going to confession, you ought to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit of the world. So getting out and spending time with people who don't have the Holy Spirit is a gift to them. And it's a gift that we are obligated to bring, especially if we have that as a vocation. 
So I, I would love to see I would love to see Christians spending a lot more time with people who don't agree with us. Isn't that so difficult for many because we all want to stay in our comfort zone, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's what evangelization is all about, isn't it? Absolutely. And it is harder in a time of pandemic. And, you know, people have to be careful and, and all of that, certainly. I'm not, I'm, some of this is probably more easily practiced after this pandemic's over. But even, you know, you can have Zoom calls with people you disagree with. You can take time to call that family member who has left the church or has never been in the church or is committed to something radically different. And, you know, you don't, we, we keep on, I think we, we tend to think that you're only proclaiming Jesus if you're actually saying the name Jesus or explicitly talking Christianity. But Catholics know better because we're a sacramental people. Presence matters. You know, going to Eucharist adoration, Jesus isn't talking out loud to you. But if you're really silent in the presence of Jesus, you may hear him in your heart. And we have the word of God in the scriptures. And, and that profound presence is so important. And I think we, we ignore the fact that we can do the same thing for other people in a state of grace. You don't have to be talking God necessarily. You are salt. You are light. Your presence is salt and light. And there's a time and a place when you absolutely have to be proclaiming Jesus out loud. But that's not always. It's a, I mean, as long as we're loving and that's being Christ because God is love. Yeah. And uh, it's more about, I used to think when I was a young father that I had to give my kids lectures and things like that and teach them. But now I yeah. see more it's by example. And they see yeah. dad living a, certain lifestyle and why is he doing that and then that opens up the door you know yeah and it's tricky because that was abused in the 60s and 70s you know um preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words as a way to kind of shut down people trying to proclaim it and as a way to try to kind of smooth over any kind of differences between christians and non-christians and all that that was a misapplication but there's still something true about that saying and and good teachers know it um you know the you can you can explain the math problem to people till kingdom come but if you show them it makes all the difference in the world right right you know let's just go through a couple of the questions in the book one of them deals with uh how can you still be catholic when um the church continues to forbid birth control and abortion of course abortion is a hot topic right now the Supreme mm -hmm. Court, Roe v. Wade, and, yeah. you know, you have such a, again, the spectrum of, uh, it's okay to take a child just a few seconds from being ready to be born and killing him, and they mm -hmm. don't see anything wrong with it, and we're just back in the 15th century here, but how can you still be Catholic with all these outdated rules? And Yeah, I can still be Catholic pretty easily because, well, I think even on a natural level, if I wasn't Catholic, I think I'd still be pro-life because this was, this has been a hot topic since Roe v. Wade and before. So I was thinking about it way back in high school and about 2000 and <laughs> um, walking the halls of my high school. It had come up somehow, can't remember how, in the news or something like that. And I thought, well, I know what the church says, but I need to kind of make up my mind about this. I need to think this through. So where do I stand at abortion? And it, it didn't take long at all. 
because I began accidentally from just the right place of, well, I can't think of any real difference, any substantive difference between a six-month-old out of the womb and a six-week-old in the womb. There's a continuity of existence, you know, conception is this clear, you know, egg and sperm are one thing beforehand, conception, you have a new biological being, right? Mm -hmm. There's no difference. So, okay, I wouldn't support killing the six-month-old out of the womb. So I wouldn't support the six, killing the six-week-old in the womb. And I was shocked to realize I was done thinking about it. Because I just couldn't, and I still can't. I, you know, I have heard a million pro-choice, whatever news things and comments online and all that about, well, you know, Catholics believe life begins at conception, but this is totally mystical. Biology says life begins at conception. Biology is quite clear that once you have that sperm and that egg united, then you have the person they don't necessarily say person they would talk about strictly from a biological kind of material but humans are people people are human like in in our ordinary existence angels aside demons aside god almighty aside our experience of persons is an experience of human beings and you get a lot of the evils of the past century when people try to split those two things apart so human being is a person and I've just never, I've never seen a good way around that. So that's abortion. As best I can tell, the church's teaching is true. Therefore, I'll stick with it. On birth control, I think that we have, we are very used to a society where everything can be solved with technology. And all right, if, if getting pregnant is inconvenient, therefore, and sometimes more than inconvenient, sometimes there are people with very serious reasons why they want to be using birth control. It's not as though it's all easy. At the same time, though, I think the church's sexual ethic is coherent and makes sense that sex belongs inside marriage. Sex is this unifying force, and it's this procreative force. It is meant to create families, and it used in ways that do not create families is a misuse of it. It's not an easy ethic. It is often a very difficult ethic as human history shows us but that doesn't make it untrue so seeing the apparent truth of the church's teaching leads me to those aren't particularly the sticking points for me it's not as though it's convenient especially in this world we live in today especially with so many people living in the context of a broken family of a broken home or so many people post-sexual revolution where society is encouraging you to all sorts of things that lead you to, would incline you to use birth control and abortion. We, we are perhaps at one of the hardest times to live the ethic in human history. Doesn't make it untrue. Right, right. You know, let's talk about Holy Communion. Uh, in your book, one of the questions was, how can you be Catholic and go to church in, in a, in a, church that doesn't allow non-Catholics to participate in Holy Communion. Yeah. And it's been a, a personal one because dad's, dad is Protestant. Dad has remained Protestant throughout the years, which means he's been very good about coming to Mass with us all those years. And he's also been remarkably respectful of the church's teaching. 
he does not present himself for communion. So for me, that teaching was made kind of easy by my dad's own witness. You know, the, the example of a faithful Protestant man honoring the church's teaching. He doesn't believe in the real presence, but he respects what the church rules on that point. So that, that has always made that easy for me personally. I think the easy answer to give people for whom it is a sticking point is simply, if you're not in communion with the Catholic Church, you should not receive Catholic communion. And of course, these are even more difficult times when the scripture talks about do not receive unworthily. And yep. we have people going up there who we know are promoting uh, abortion all the way up to birth. So that mm -hmm. even makes it more, more challenging. Um, another one that hit me was, how do you want to, why do you still want to be a Catholic when they just want you to suffer and make you feel guilty about everything. And the reason that question got me, Chris, was because our oldest daughter went to grad school for her doctorate in psychology and the professors were hammering the Catholic church about just making people feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And she came out of those classes, you know, cause when you're young and impressionable, what the professor says is truth. And yeah. uh, she came out of there thinking, wow, the Catholic church is really messing with people's minds. How do you answer that? I think that, that completely overlooks the point of confession. Confession, it, it sticks with the examination of conscience and doesn't actually go through the sacrament itself. Because the point of confession is absolution. Baptism brings us forgiveness of sins. Confession renews that forgiveness of sins throughout our life. The Eucharist, when we receive the Eucharist, venial sins are wiped away. The, the divine life is restored in us in full. Um, the whole point of Christ's coming was to heal the breach between God and man, between all the different parts of his creation. So the, the church exists in order to get rid of guilt and in order to get rid of sin and in order to get rid of shame, to heal those things. So it's, it makes sense. I can understand where that comes from, especially when you get someone like Martin Luther who gets so trapped in his own head and so fixated on his own sins that he breaks off and runs away. But that's not, that is not a reaction in accordance with the sacraments themselves. It's not, it doesn't make sense in light of what the faith is and the practice of the faith is. The faith is here to set us right and to set us free from guilt and to restore us as children of God. Chris, we're doing this interview on the last day of the week of prayer for Christian unity. Uh, why is Christian unity so important in these particularly challenging times? And uh, when we pray for Christian unity, does that mean that we as Catholics have to lose our identity? No, it's a call for the healing of a thing that was never meant to be split apart. Jesus came to draw us all together into the body of Christ, into the mystical body of Christ, into the household of God. We're meant to be sons in the sun, and God is all about a family united, not a family divided. You see that really clearly at the Last Supper in John's Gospel, where Jesus is praying that, that the apostles and those who hear about him from them may all be one, as he and the Father are one. And the Trinity is an absolute unity. There's, there's three persons in one Godhead. And God is at 
and is by his very nature radically simple, radically one. So in order for the church on earth to really live the life to which we are called to be living in the spirit, to be one with Jesus, we have to be one with our neighbors. We have to be one with each other. Um, John separately talks about, if you don't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? And the, the spectacle that we offer the world with so much squabbling, so much disunity, the attacks of Christian on Christian, one of the main reasons why you ever get the, the French Revolution and the different revolutions of the 1800s, the anarchists, the attacks, the rise of communism in 1917 and the rest of it, is because of the scandal of the wars of religion in Europe after the Reformation, Protestant versus Catholic. So much could have been avoided if we hadn't gone to war with our brothers. So this matters for the salvation, not only of our own souls, but of the souls of everyone else around us. We are meant to all be children of Mary together. We are meant to be brethren of Jesus together. You see that very clearly in the gospels and scriptures. Chris, any other thoughts you wanna share with us uh, before we wrap up today's show? Well, I absolutely want to encourage people to take seriously the promises of, of divine mercy, especially in, in such hard times that we live in. You, you, Dr. Thatcher, have spent a good chunk of your life going around and sharing the message and devotion and handing on what Father Seraphim had handed on to you. And I think that's indispensable. And that's something that we, we who have that treasure, the Catholic faith on its own is a treasure. Christian faith on its own, shared with Protestants, is a treasure. Belief in God at all is a treasure. But divine mercy is this tremendous synthesis and and distillation of all of those treasures into this extraordinary gift. And there's such, such world-transforming power in the image and in the chaplet, the proper use in allowing God to work through these things that he's given to us as special means of welcoming him in. And the world's in such a mess, it would be a crime not to be sharing this with other people. It would be this tremendous dereliction of duty to not be using these ourselves and to be spreading them to other people. I would also certainly want to mention the daily rosary for peace that Our Lady asked for at Fatima, more urgent than ever. And the first Saturdays of reparation that she had asked for, the importance of devotion to the Immaculate Heart. This is given for our times. So the more that things disturb us, the more we ought to be reaching for the gifts that God has given us specifically for these times specifically for these problems and these situations that are most challenging to us. And as ways to help bring people back to the faith. You know, so many of us have friends or neighbors or family members who have left the practice of the Catholic faith. Your first move needs to be prayer, not just frustration, not even just talking to them, but prayer and, and persistent prayer. I think that a lot of us I know, I'm, I'm a modern American, I want an easy solution, push a button, the thing is solved, let's go. We are called to be persistent in our devotion uh, and, and hold on, and other people will come, but our persistence matters hugely. So not just the daily rosary for peace now, but, but persist to the end, not just the chaplet every now and again, but persisting to the end. Not giving up if we miss a day, 
not giving up if we miss a particular devotion or have a bad year or have a bad decade, have a bad couple of decades, but start again, start again, and don't give up on God. You're so right, Chris, and never give up. Uh, all the saints fell down, but, but they got up, you know, fall down, they got up. And uh, I'm thinking of the quote, the Lord, the Lord told St. Faustina, mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust in my mercy. And of course, behind me is image of divine mercy in Jesus, I trust in you. But people, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'd encourage you to get Chris's book, How You Can Still Be Catholic, 50 Answers to a Good Question. They're all very good, difficult, tough questions. And he did a great job putting these answers together. And you can get it at shopmercy.org and just type in, how can you still be Catholic? And uh, Chris, thank you again for joining me today on Mercy Unbound and keep up the great work up there. Thanks so much. God bless. You too. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.